Jesus, we do pray this morning that as your people, we can trust you fully with our lives. Lord, we pray this morning that as we learn from your word, God, that each of us take something away from it today. We take something away from it that we practice in our everyday lives outside of Sundays, Lord, in our places of work, school, neighborhood, with friends, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is Kimberly, and I am one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. It is good to be with you, and this morning we are going to um, dive into our reading from Ephesians. The very end of the reading from Ephesians says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This final verse is thought by many scholars to have come from an early Christian hymn, one that may well have been used in the context of baptism. The British pastor and preacher Charles Spurgeon said, sleepiness in the Christian is exceedingly dangerous because he or she can do a great deal while they are asleep that will make them look as if they were quite awake. It is not uncommon, especially in today's culture, where we are overstimulated, constantly being pulled from one place to another, with so many things on our mind, maybe in our personal lives, our families, the world, it is not uncommon for us to be asleep to what is happening around us. We can speak when we are asleep and unaware of what's happening. We can hear and be asleep. We can walk when asleep. It is possible to do all of these things, as Spurgeon says, while we are quite awake, when in fact, we have not been awakened. I'm sure that each of us can think of times when we've been asleep to what is happening around us, behaving in ways that do not point toward Jesus. As an aside, I would argue that a word that we hear a lot in culture today, especially by Christians, the term woke, is often incited by Christians as an insult or a derogatory term. I would argue that it is actually being misused when we hear Christians use it in that critical way. In black culture, it's long meant to be aware of what is happening around us, especially racism and prejudice, which is not a bad thing to be awake to. But also, we see in this scripture reading today that what we are hearing about is what it is to be awake to what is happening, what it is to be awake and interacting in the world in a way that points toward Jesus, which would mean to be aware of injustices that are happening. As you are likely aware, just last week, we moved our clocks forward an hour. We sprung forward, as it is said, meaning there's less light in the early morning and a little bit more light, or I guess a lot more light, in the evening. <laughs> this morning, when I arrived at church to open the building at 7, it was still dark out. But with the darker mornings, we do have these longer days, kids playing late into night. Last night, I think we got home around 7, and our daughter was remarking about how light it was outside. I grew up in Missouri, where daylight savings is practiced, but for 16 years lived in Arizona, where nobody except for the Navajo Nation practices daylight savings. And so as we were talking about moving here as a family, my husband and I, it didn't like occur to us that Keenan, our daughter, had never done daylight savings. Like, she kind of knew it was a thing, but trying to explain it to a child, or really to an adult that's never practiced <laughs> it, is like so weird. It's very, you know, it was kind of, yeah. It was one of those conversations where ultimately it was like, I don't know, like, it's silly and pointless, but it's something that we do. So last year, springing forward was rough. Like, for months afterwards, Keenan talked about how she was tired because of daylight savings. <laughs> 
I recently saw a quote from the author Anne Lamont who said, it never takes me more than four to five weeks to adjust to daylight savings time. <laughs> there is something about waking up when it is still pitch black outside that just doesn't feel quite right. Our bodies insist that they should still be sleeping. Our brains might take a bit longer to get going. In our sleepiness, we may say or do things that we are not totally aware of or meaning to do or say. Sure, staying light later in the day is nice and all, but initially it definitely doesn't feel worth it. At least I don't think it does. There is something about light, brightness, the sun shining that wakes us up and energizes us. It also reveals things that were once hidden in the dark. And in the second half of today's reading from Ephesians, we see the theme of darkness and light. This is not an uncommon theme in scripture. In fact, I think this is like the third time in the last year that I've preached a passage that is focused on darkness and light. From the very first chapter of the Bible, light and darkness signaled the difference between order and chaos, purpose and randomness, good and evil. This theme of darkness and light, it feels especially appropriate in the season of Lent, a season of darkness where we are reminded of our sin but also a time that is followed by Eastertide, a season of light. In his book, Lent, The Season of Repentance and Renewal, which many of you are probably reading along with us, Esau Macaulay says, yes, God is gracious to us. But beneath that statement about grace is a reminder of what sin is. Sin is rebellion against God, and that rebellion brings judgment. Lent demands that we remember that the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to focus on this reading from Ephesians. In general, Ephesians has a focus on discipleship, how we should live in the light and grace of Christ. And Ephesians 5 through 5, 1 through 14, offers a picture of the challenge that it can be to live in a way such as this. It offers a challenge to even our most deeply held Christian convictions and the power of those convictions to call us back to the people that we are striving and called to be. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, it comes just after chapter 4, obviously, where Paul um, has talked about how Christians relate to one another. The opening verse serves as a transition of sorts from chapter 4 to chapter 5. Therefore, it says, as dearly loved children, we walk in love the way, sorry, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As Christians, as his dear children, we are to be imitators of God. This reading from Ephesians, it essentially has two parts, verses 1 through 7 and verses 8 through 14. In the first portion, Paul lists sexual sins, greed, other things that we are not to engage in, indicating that none of these things are fitting for saints or children of God, and that they should not even be named among God's people. In the culture that Paul was living in, this emphasis on sexual sin was appropriate. The culture was given over to sexual immorality. And while this is also important in today's culture, I think that there are also other things in our culture that deserve attention to and discussion. Things such as mass incarceration, care for creation, racism, human trafficking, and so on. I'm sure there are things coming to your mind that feel relevant as well, that we need to be called to pay attention to, to be awake to. 
In this list, Paul also, Paul also included obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. Those things can be associated with sexual sin, but they also have a relevance well beyond that. It can be easy in this first section of Ephesians to kind of get wrapped up in these rules, these do's and these don'ts. For many of you, this might even feel triggering, depending on your own upbringing, the, maybe the church context that you were raised in. The second half of this reading this morning, verses 8 through 14, focuses on moving from darkness to light. Verse 8 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Well, today I would like to focus on two primary themes from today's reading. First, the theme of living separate from the surrounding culture. And second, no surprise, darkness and light. If we're being honest when it comes to this idea of living separate from the surrounding culture, it probably feels a bit cringy to most of us, and rightly so, I think. Christians have gotten this wrong for a long time in some ways, maybe taking it too literally, not associating with people at all who are not like them or who don't have the same belief system, looking down upon people who don't know Jesus from a place of self-righteousness, forgetting that we once too did not know Jesus. But this call to live separately, it arises from the awareness that God has transformed us from slave to free. If we take it too literally, meaning that we are living cloistered away, associating with nobody who believes differently than us, this is, of course, an unhealthy way to live. If any of you have watched, I won't give any spoilers, but if you've been watching the um, new sort of zombie series, The Last of Us, um, you see examples of this in that show. People living cloistered away, isolated. Of course, I mean, there are zombies and all. But <laughs> living in a way where they are kind of hoarding resources, keeping others out, to the point that they are willing to kill for this. There is no, like, real sacrificial living in this way. And this is not the way that we are called to live. We are called to live as a people who live sacrificially, who display Christ who have the aroma of Christ. Living separately from the world does not call us to be alone. It calls us to imitate God's example in the same way that a young child imitates their parent so that others see God in us. Even in today's gospel reading, we see Jesus proclaiming, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he heals a blind man, and immediately after the miracle, he makes clear that the point of the story is spiritual blindness. Before becoming followers of Jesus, we are blind, we are in the dark. And we don't see Jesus living a life that is isolated. He lives a life that displays who he is, that preaches the gospel, but we see him, just as we saw in last week's reading, interacting with people that he shouldn't, people that are different than him, the Samaritan woman, a blind man who was a beggar. This is what we are called to we should notice, too, that the idea in this reading isn't to avoid these things that you, so that you can be a saint. Rather, it is you are a saint. You are a child of God. Now live in a manner that is fitting of this. Because God has showered love upon us through Christ's love and forgiveness, we should respond by living a Christ-like life of love and sacrifice. And so while a list of behaviors, what we should and shouldn't do, might feel strict or heavy-handed, we are called to live in this way as a marker of our faith, a response to the deep love and sacrifice of Jesus. Much like a parent 
has rules in their home for the children, and they have those rules in place because of the love for the child. Christ gives us these ways that we are to live because of his love for us and sacrifice for us. It is less about what we are not to do and more about what we should do because we have been transformed. We have new life in Christ. We all likely know people that simply by our interactions with them, we feel closer to God. Those people who just kind of like are so Jesus-y, they kind of, it kind of oozes out of them. That is what we are called to, for people to interact with us and experience God, to meet God. If we are not careful, we can interpret this list to mean that God just wants us to be good. But Christianity does not start with be good. It starts with Christ is good and has been good to us. He gave himself up for us. And our behaviors are rooted in Christ's love for us. Because we are loved by God, we are to behave in this way. It is important, too, to note that Paul is not speaking of believers who fall into sin and repent of it, but of those who continually practice these vices. In fact, with Lent being a season of repentance, it is an especially appropriate time for our own self-examination. What are the areas of personal and communal sin that we need to examine and repent of? Notice that verses 1 and 2 do not say, think about God, admire God, or adore God. Though those are all important things in Christian life, they say, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ has loved us. Here, there is a call to practical action. It is one thing to have sort of an individualized faith that is kind of in our heads where we're thinking and praying about things a lot. It is another thing to live in a way that is a public display of our faith. Oftentimes when I talk with fellow Christians about issues of justice, for example, they agree and they believe that these are things that we should care about, that as followers of Jesus, we should care about the widow, the orphan, the sick, the least, the lost, and the lonely. But they often feel stuck when it comes to what to do next, beyond lamenting the church's lack of involvement in such issues, posting on social media, and so forth. Taking the next step, actually acting out our faith, it can be hard. I think this is often true for us in our lives with Jesus. We love God, admire God, pray to God, read scripture, and so on, but at times we feel stuck when it comes to the next steps. I love how in these first verses, though, we see verbs. We see the use of walk, of sacrifice. We are not instructed only to think and pray and have this internal faith. We are instructed to walk in love, to live a life that is sacrificial for others. As God has loved us and given himself up for us, we are to display the same kind of self-giving love. And this is not to say that we are required to lay down our life in a dramatic way to show our love for others. God often calls us to lay our life down little by little. That feels a little more doable, doesn't it? But it's laying down our life nonetheless in a way that ultimately shines light on Christ. I have a friend that I've known for a long time, and in college, she would often talk about feeling sort of intimidate, intimidated by these calls, and that makes sense. And she would struggle with sort of like feeling kind of paralyzed, like, what do, like if, I, if I can't lay down my whole life, if I can't spend the rest of my life living overseas, bringing the good news, then, then what is my faith worth? Is it important? And I would argue that with this, the answer is yes. In our everyday lives, when we walk out of here and go have lunch with somebody, when we go to our neighborhood and are taking our trash out and see our next-door neighbor, 
If you're in school, when you're in school interacting with peers, those are opportunities to lay down your life little by little, to show people who God is through you, through your behaviors, and the surprising ways in which you may interact with them. We live in a time where it's not as common to say hello to somebody you don't know or to engage with somebody who's maybe different than you. But in doing so, we are giving people a foretaste of who Christ is, a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. It is important, though, in these first verses, in this first part of Ephesians, to note that God is far more than our example. We are called to follow him, yes, but we are not saved by the example of Jesus. Once saved, his example is meaningful to us, though. God is more than our example. He is, but he is also our example. God's behavior toward us becomes our measure for our behavior towards one another, and this sets us apart from the culture that surrounds us. The second major theme is darkness and light. It is easy from this passage in Ephesians to focus primarily on that first part, on the do's and the don'ts. And while obviously that is important, I find that every time I read this passage from Ephesians, what I am most struck by is that just after a list of what we are to avoid, we are reminded that while we are once in darkness, we are now in the light of the Lord. In Exodus 10, when Pharaoh refused to comply with God's command to release the Israelites, God's last-ditch effort was to plunge the Egyptian king and his people into darkness in hopes of bringing them to God's way. And in Psalm 27, the psalmist speaks of God as my light and my salvation. And in the Gospel of John, light is used as the primary symbol for the incarnation. Jesus was the true light, which enlightens everyone. Light symbolizes the purposeful work of God to bring good into the world, and darkness represents the forces of this world. As John 1.5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In our reading from Ephesians, it continues this theme, but here we see that it says, you are light. In other passages, God is light and Christians are in the light. But Ephesians boldly proclaims that you, each one of you sitting in this room, you are the light. We see again the idea from the verse 1 that we are to imitate God like dearly loved children. As Paul reminds the Gentile believers that they have become children of the light. The light of God that is in the believer should show in their goodness, righteousness, and truth, contrasting their life before, which was lived in darkness. Paul doesn't only say that we were once in darkness. He says that we were once darkness itself. Now we are not only in the light, we are in the light of the Lord. It seems Paul was careful to say that we should avoid the unfruitful works of darkness. Not the people, though. He does not tell us to avoid people. Again, this is a reminder that we are not to completely isolate ourselves. We are not to forget that we, too, were once in the darkness. Just as the sun rising in the east slowly reveals what the day will look like, when light shines on those things that are done in the dark, they are no longer hidden behind shadow and darkness. Paul says that believers who are children of light should expose deeds of darkness. He says such deeds are fruitless and have no purpose. In other words, as children of light, followers of Jesus, are called not only to live lives worthy of being put publicly on display, but we are also charged with the task of uncovering evils and injustices that are present in the world. This, too, is walking in love. Today's psalm, Psalm 23, it references the valley of the shadow of death, 
which in some translations is also called the darkness, the darkest valley. The psalmist is sure, though, we see in the reading that God leads through such a dark place, just as Paul seems to be sure that God shines his light on believers. Lent is a journey with Jesus to the cross. Our participation in the light and the moving away from darkness is shown by our resurrection with Jesus. True fellowship is rooted in the example of Christ, and so we are to take on his behaviors. Rather than being bitter, Christ freely forgave us for the wrong things that we've done. His kindness, his compassion, and love, they all led him to sacrifice himself for us. Of course, in Christian life, there are things that we ought not to do. But all of this is rooted in the deep love of Christ for us. Because we are no longer in darkness and the light of Christ has come upon us, we have a call and a responsibility to usher the shining light of Christ upon others so that they too can be transformed. So we, imperfectly and with a posture of humility, we imitate God. We walk in love. Our whole manner of life must be characterized by love the kind of love that Christ manifested to us. God showed his love to us in Christ, and Christ has shown his love to us in our redemption. He gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And so while we have this list in the beginning of Ephesians and throughout the Bible, right, there are things that we are not, ought not to do. There are also ways in which we are instructed to live, and we are doing all of this in response to this love and sacrifice of God. This is the pattern for our love. This pattern of sacrifice, of giving up of ourselves. Our faith, our walk with Jesus, is it is to be done in the light, knowing that we will make mistakes, knowing that we can confess and repent and turn to God. We don't have to hold on to our mistakes or our shame. We can give those to the Lord. But knowing that we are still called to continue moving forward, we are called to be who we are in Jesus, children of the light, walking in love. Amen.